So I'm excited tonight. We're going to have a little bit of fun. I have a couple of random thoughts that we'll sew together by the time we're all done, but um, they may seem a little bit disconnected at first. But I was reading my Bible, and occasionally when I read my Bible, I am shocked. Um, when, when I first read a story, it would seem that people's ability for stupidity is overwhelming. Um, and as you read it, you may have encountered this, and then often I realize that their stupidity isn't so much their stupidity as it is that I have thousands of years of context to look at their choice. And with the thousands of years of context, the stupidity of their choice is actually revealed. And, and at first I'm like this judgmental person as I'm reading, and then I realize, oh wait, I've got context. And then I look more deeply at their issue, and I realize that I am guilty of the same stupidity. I just hadn't realized it was stupid yet. And, 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 it, and it catches me, and, and I want to start with one such story. See, there's a guy named Esau in the Bible, and he had the world's most expensive bowl of soup. See, he's out one day, and he's out, he's hungry, he's been hunting, and how long he's been out hunting, it doesn't say, but he comes back, and he comes up against his brother. Now, his brother and him are twins. They've been fighting literally since the moment, they were, actually before they were born. His mom was freaking out because there was so much going on inside. And he's like, God, what is happening? And he's like, you've got two nations in you. And they're fighting. She's like, crazy. And uh, anyhow, as, as the story goes on, so there's brotherly conflict here that seems to have been constant. Esau comes in and his brother Jacob is cooking and he's been out hunting and apparently it was unsuccessful. And he comes in, he's like, Hey, give me some of that stew, some of those, that lentil stew. Why you'd pay high price for lentil stew is beyond me. But anyways, he goes, hey, I, I want some of that. And Jacob goes, sell me your birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, for most of us, we're like, your birthright? What is his birthright? And it doesn't have a context for us, so it doesn't seem as significant. But at this time, the birthright meant that the, the firstborn got a double portion of everything. It also means that he gets like the pick of, of dad's lands. And there's a lot of stuff that goes to the firstborn, but we're just going to mention just a double portion of everything that dad has. His father is Isaac and his, sorry, and his grandfather is Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham was exceedingly rich. And not only was he rich with gold and, and livestock, but one day his nephew gets in trouble and he goes, all right, guys, from my house, guys born in my house, grab your swords, grab your armor. We're going to go rescue my nephew. And it says that 314 of them that were born in his house. So his household and all that he has is massive. And then he passes this all on to Isaac. And then it says that God blesses Isaac where he, blesses, where he sows and he just reaps like a hundred full and he is just crazy, crazy blessed. And Esau's like having this conversation with Jacob going, sell me your birthright for dinner. And you're like, so you're literally, this is literally millions of dollars for a bowl of dinner. And you're like, okay, nobody is that stupid. That is it's lentils, of all things. Like, and, but Esau just is like, what good is a birthright to me if I'm going to die? I'm starving. Just give me the soup. He's like, swear to me that you'll give me the birthright. I swear, give me the soup. 
And he gets the soup. And you look at this, you're like, okay, where is your brain? How do you trade millions for one bowl of soup? And I, and I came to this conclusion that when you focus, when your focus is on the moment, you aren't thinking about the long-term cost. You're only thinking about your immediate needs. And that when you live today at tomorrow's expense, it costs you more. Um, so if you're writing things down, thought number one, when you live, oh, sorry, short-term thinking produces stupidity. In fact, sometimes it's referred to as not thinking. You were actually thinking, but they, they say you weren't thinking. Uh, I don't know if you ever had this. I, I recall when I was little, um, I have two older brothers and I have a little sister, and sometimes there was conflict, sometimes there was poor choices. One time I made one of those poor choices. Um, my, my cousin, they came and they, they moved into town, they lived with us for a little while, and my um, cousin's husband is a legitimate cowboy. Like, he, they moved to us from a ranch, he wasn't just a poser, you know, who wore cowboy boots, he legitimately was a cowboy, and he had an entire bag full of ropes, full of lariats. And I'm like, well, that's cool. He's like, you want to learn to rope? I'm like, yes. Who doesn't want to learn how to rope? This is awesome. And so we made a little, like, post that we stuck in the ground and gave it a, a T-bar to call it its antlers, and, and he's teaching me how to, to use these different ropes and a rope. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I got good at it-ish. Like, I thought I was good at it. And I, I could hit this thing, and then I've been practicing with this, and I'm getting pretty good at it, and then my sister walks outside. And I, some, the chuckling says that a lot of you can figure out where this begins to go. As I'm like, who wants to rope a wooden post when they can rope something that's alive? <laughs> and so I get the rope, I flip it a few times, you get it to the, the um, lariat to a nice big loop. Because I'm only going to get one shot at this, you know that. So you're like, all right, you get ready and you get it swinging and she's not looking. And I come up and I launch that thing and it sails beautifully right for her, And it goes over. But when you're lassoing that thing and you want to make sure that you hook it, as soon as it gets there, you give the rope a little pull and that rope goes from being a big loop and zips down. Not like real tight on the thing, but it zips down a ways. So I have this and you just like picture it with me as I, I loop, shoot this loop over her and I grab the rope and give it the, the little pull to shrink the, the loop because I'd launched a big loop over her. And I knew it wasn't going to like strangle her, like I wasn't doing it that tight, but I had neglected the fact that when you have a rope and it shrinks, that means the rope is moving. And when a rope moves across your bare skin, it leaves a burn. And so my sister has a rope burn from here to here on her neck as I had successfully lassoed my sister. And you're like, you come up and you're like, I'm sorry. And, she, and then, you know, she's yelling at you, me because she was a bit upset. And I'm like, I didn't think it would do that. But before I can get the like, it would do that. She's like, that's why you didn't think. And like, <laughs> gets out there with, with her, her response. And, and a lot of times that's what we, we call it. We're like, well, they didn't think. Well, no, actually they did think but they just didn't think about the big picture. They were just thinking about the little picture. They were just thinking about the moment. I wasn't thinking about the rope burn. I was just thinking how cool it would be to rope something that was alive. And my sister happened to be in proximity. And I had thoughts. They, just, they were just very short-term thoughts. And that kind of thinking causes problems. And it causes immense stupidity. And I've seen it with little things like roping your sister, which my sister may say was less than a little thing. But... I've also seen it with people who sat across from me 
in my office as tears begin to just pour down their face, not all the way down to their knees, as they made horrible life choices because they were focused on a moment. And they're going, I don't know if my life will ever be the same because I, and you fill in the blank with the different choice that they made. And I realized that when you look at just right now, you can be really smart and do something really stupid. Because right now, what looks good may be a horrible choice in the grand scheme of things. And that if we live for this moment, we end up in a mess. Jesus tells a parable that, that I come back to a lot. Um, it's the parable of the sower. And most of you guys have heard it before, but I'm just going to give a little context for those who may not have. He says that there was a man who sowed some seed. And the man who went out to sow some seed, as he, cast, as he spread out the seed, said some fell on the path where the birds came and snatched it up. Some fell on the rocks and it sprouted up and withered away quickly. Some fell among the thorns and was choked out. And some fell among the good soil and reaped a harvest, 30, 60, and some 100 full. And then his disciples, they're asking him about it. And then he goes and explains it. And we're not going to look at all of the different categories tonight. Last time I spoke on a Sunday night, we looked at the the soil on the rock. But tonight I want to talk a little bit about the, the thorns. And when Jesus is explaining this to his disciples, he says this in Luke 8, 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And I got pondering this. Like, okay, so... It got choked. How did it get choked? It got choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. When I think of riches and pleasures of life, this isn't a good category. When I think of being choked, this isn't a bad category. Just ask my sister. So I'm trying to like reconcile these two different things, going, what does it mean to be choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And finally, it, it came to me that it means they got distracted. It means that instead of living in light of eternity, that instead of living in, for God and for his word, that they begin to focus on the good things, the fun things, and it became their focus point, the thing that they live for, the thing that drives their actions. And it says that it produced that their fruit never grew to maturity because they begin to live for these things. And I, and I came to this conclusion. In a place of abundance, it's easy to put your focus on the abundance. And, and Jesus talks about how you can't serve God and money. He talks about how it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And as I begin to kind of put these things together, I'm like, okay, so what you're telling me is if I have it really good, if I have it really easy, it can be difficult to take my eyes off of what I have because what I have is fun, because what I have is good. And what I have may even be a blessing that God gave me. But if my focus is there, then just like before, where the, sh the short-term focus can make a smart person do stupid things. If my focus is on just what I have, if my focus is just on my blessings, it can begin to choke out 
what God has for me. It can begin to direct my life instead of letting God direct my life. And as I was beginning to ponder this, I I read in Acts a while back as I was reading through it, and I I read in Acts chapter 2, and it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And it's a simple verse, but I had a thought that betrayed me. And if you ever have a thought and you, you, you have a, a thought that you would consider to be dumb, but nonetheless, you had the thought. This happened to me. And as, I, as I'm reading this, I'm like, I'm looking at how they did church. And it says that they, they so continuing daily, with one accord, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. I'm like, so they're in the temple and meeting from house to house. So it's like they're having ch- church and small group every day, both of them. And I looked at that and I was like, wow, that's a lot of church. I'm like, but here's the thought that betrayed me. That's a lot to add. And I, like the thought came to me because a lot of times we're like, we're so busy. I don't have time for for this. And as soon as I, the, the thought like turned into words in my head, that's a lot to add. I'm like, you're not supposed to add God to your life. You're supposed to give God your life. And I begin to go, they have a different perspective. They aren't going, okay, God, how much can I fit of you in here? They're going, God, here is me and I'm going to live for you and let that be what guides me. And that's what's going to be my overflow. And as I begin to kind of to ponder their life and this difference of their focus and the way that today most people's thinking is on today and eternity isn't their focus, so their choices reflect the benefit now even if it has a cost on eternity. And I got thinking about Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther in 1517 nailed up his 95 Theses and kicked off the Reformation. And in his Reformation, he had, he had 95 points that he, he put on there, but there was... There was two driving issues that kind of um, kicked this thing, whole thing off. Number one, it was that, that we are saved by grace and not by works. And number two, it was that the people need the word of God in their own hands. Because at this point in time, the, the problems in the church and the corruption in the church had, had, was able to happen because only the priests really had access to God's word. It wasn't translated into the language of the people. And so it was all, you just tell me what I should know. You just tell me what, I, what it says because I can't get to it for myself. And, and, and he, he had this, this drive and this push going, we, everybody needs to be able to get into God's word. We are saved by grace. And they, they, he wanted them to encounter God. And as I begin to look at these, these other thoughts, I begin to think, that today we need another reformation. A return to the word in the hands of the people. The word was not stolen from us or taken from our language, it was replaced. So many other things were handed to us that there wasn't room left for the word. And how easy we've become distracted where this word gets pushed out, where, where God gets choked out, where he's no longer the driving force for our decisions, but where what are we going to do this weekend? And the next toy that we want begin to, to wage a war on our choices 
and what I want and how I feel. People say, well, but God wants me happy. And they put their happiness as the compass, as the guide, rather than, than God. And I begin to go, well, what is it supposed to look like? And Jesus tells another story. And I'm going to tell it in today's language, and then I'll give you the reference. So there was a guy, and he was driving his car. He had his dog in the car. The dog started to whine. He figured the dog had to go to the bathroom. He pulled over. Nice wooded area. He figured this wasn't going to bother anybody. The dog could lay a log, and he didn't have to pick it up. So lets the dog out. Dog runs into the woods. Dog's supposed to come back. Dog doesn't come back. So he goes chasing the dog. He's running up there. Where did the dog go? And while he's chasing the dog, his foot all of a sudden just drops through what looked like it was solid ground. There was a, and his foot just dropped. He's like, what did just, he gets his leg out of this hole and realizes that it was a broken, there was something wood underneath the dirt that was covered. And curiosity gets the best of him. He's like, what, what is this? gets out his phone, turns the little flashlight on, looks in there, and he's like, that's really shiny. Gets in there, starts brushing it off, and's like, that's gold. That's a lot of gold. He's counting, he's like, I got to 100, and there's still more. And there's little leather bags. He's like, open up the little bags. They're shiny too. And he puts it back, puts it in his pocket, and he puts it back. He's like, that's a lot of money. Those are, those are big bars. I think that, that, that's, that's millions of dollars I just stumbled upon. But if I go take this and I go in, they're going to say, wow, where did you get this? I'm going to tell them. And then they're going to say, it's not yours. And that would be bad. So he stops, he thinks, gets out his phone, gets out his GPS, marks the spot, covers it up. And he goes home, he looks up, who owns this property? Who owns this property? Looks up property law. He's like, okay, if... If, the, if, if I was to buy the property and if I was to buy all of the mineral rights for the property, the things that I find, the minerals that I find in the property are then the property of me. And so he goes and he looks at the property and he, he looks it up and he finds out what it's assessed at. He finds the value and he's like, I don't have that much money. But I know that the value of the land is nothing compared to the value of the treasure that I've found. And, and he's thinking, he's thinking, he's like, okay, okay, I gotta I got do something. And he, he's going around the house, he's like, what can I sell? He's like, hmm, a mower. Who needs one of those? I'm gonna sell my mower. I'm gonna sell my TV. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm selling it. And, he, and just, he's filling up Craigslist, he's filling up eBay, he's selling everything. He's like, what kind of part-time work can I do? And they're like, you have a job. Yes, but I need another. I'm like, what, what, why? Because I need another. I need to make some more money. I, I need to buy this land. Why do you wanna buy this land? because I need to buy this land. And so he's selling things, and he's like, okay, okay, guys, we're cutting the vacation this year. What, why are we cutting the vacation? Because we need the money. We need to buy the land. Why? Because we need to buy the land. We are going to buy the land. We're cutting the vacation. All right, well, let's go out to eat. No, we're not going out to eat. We're eating beans and rice. Why? Because they're cheap, and we'll live. And like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? We are going to buy the land. And he saves, and he sells everything that he can sell. He puts his house up for sale. He's like, okay, between the extra job, the things that I sold, the... The, the, the money that we've saved, the vacation that we canceled, selling the house, I should be able to have enough that they'll call this enough of a down payment that they'll give me a loan for the land. I'm going to buy the land. And everyone's going to look at him and go, dude, you're crazy. Why are you living like this? Why would you sacrifice all of these things? And he's going to smile because he knows something they don't know. He's like, if you knew what I knew, you'd be racing me. 
You'd be racing me to it. And he's going to get that land, and he's going to race back there. He's going to look at his phone. Where's that tree? Where's that tree? Okay, there it is. And he's going to uncover that thing. He's going to dig it up, and he's going to collect his millions, and he is excited because he lived differently, and he was happy to sacrifice because he knew what was on the other side. He knew, I am not living for this moment right now, but if I will make the sacrifice right now, it's going to be worth it in the end. That there is something so great waiting for me that all of these choices, all of these difficulties are worth what it's going to be. And Jesus tells this story. He told it, told it shorter than me. In, in verse Matthew 13, 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden Treasure hidden in a field, which a man found covered up, then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. And I begin to think, and you go, okay, so he says that, that this, is, this man gives up everything because of a treasure that he seeks. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, that we are supposed to live with our eyes on eternity, and that when we live with our eyes on eternity, people look at you and go, why would you live like that? And you go, because I know the treasure. See, I know it's on the other side, and I know it's worth it. That nothing that I have now could compare with what's on the other side for me. And that, yeah, I may live different. I may love differently than you. I may give differently than you. You may look at the way that I give, the way that I serve, the way that I sacrifice, the way that I lay my life down for my wife, the way that I trust him, the way that I put him first. You may think that I'm crazy, but I know what's on the other side because I'm not living for today. And when I live for the other side, it changes the way that I live today. And that's what he says here in Matthew. And I begin to think about how common it is to hear, are you saving for retirement? They talk about you and they talk about your retirement. And they're like, well, you better be putting money away because retirement's coming before you know it. And, and, it, and it's true. And they, they go through this and they, they talk about how much of a difference it makes when you start living for it earlier and, and saving for it. And I begin to, to look at them. Okay, so we, we, it's the end of the year and so... Church is good to us, and we've got meetings and talking about here's you know, your benefits, and here's this. Are you thinking about it? Are you setting stuff aside? Are you doing this? And here's what we have for you. And I'm like, this is great. How long do people retire for? Like, for real. Like, what's the average amount of retirement? And as I, I looked at this, I mean, there's some people who try to retire and fail. When I say they fail, I mean, they, they retire, and then they find themselves at another job. Um, but statistically, the average age for retirement is 63. The average age for dying, guys, 76. Girls, well done, it's 81. So there are people that are making all of these different sacrifices and they are lining things up for 13 to 18 years. And they're not even really their best 13 to 18 years because if they're dying at the end of it, most people aren't feeling the best right before they die. Um, this isn't real deep science. This is just typical here. So some of that was spent in the, the whatever caused their death. And so they're living for this little window. And Jesus says, I want you to live for eternity. That's going to go on and on. And where he says, where moth and rust do not destroy. Lay it for yourselves, treasures in heaven. Um, and and I, be, I begin to, to think about this going, okay, so, so as a Christian, my life is supposed to be lived with this in mind, that this is where I'm going. And when I'm going there, when I know where I'm going, it changes how I live today. We are called, if you're taking notes, we are called to live with our eyes on eternity. <clears throat> G, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says this, let us run with endurance uh, 
the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, this is where your focus is supposed to be. How do you guys like board games? Anyone like board games? There's a few of you. I'm going to explain part of a board game to you, and if you don't like board games, too bad. Okay, so here, here is this concept, because this concept from this game just kind of stuck out to me. Um, Settlers of Catan, if, you've, if you know the game, great, that makes this easier. If you don't, I'll explain enough that it doesn't matter. So this game, they set up a board full of little tiles. They lay out all these different tiles, and these different tiles give you different things that you're going to need throughout the game. In the very beginning of the end, they put numbers on them, and if you're on it and the right number gets rolled, you get the stuff that's there. So you want your little houses and your little roads to get you to the things that you're going to need. Well, the game's fun. It takes a while, but there's this setup phase that, depending on who you're with, can take quite a lot of time because you decide who's going to go first, and they get to place like a free settlement down. It's this free little piece that's going to be attached to three things that's going to get them stuff. And then it goes around, and everyone gets to lay one, and then they go back around, and they lay a second one. And then the game starts. But when you're playing with people, a lot of times they're sitting here, and they're just pondering. They're like, what do I want? What do I need? And they're, they're like trying to decide where they should put their little piece. And they're like, well, that's the stuff I need, but the number on it has like a, is, is like a two. And there's only one roll of the dice that can get you a two. And, and there's not a very high probability that this is rolled. And, and they're like mapping this all out and they're thinking because what they do right now is important later. Because right now is set up for the game. Because what they do right now is going to determine how well they do in the game. It's going to set them up for success. It's going to be where they're, what they're going to get rewarded for. And I begin to think, and I'm like, you know, I think most of us are living in the setup phase thinking it's the game and going, well, I'm happy right now. And so that's all that matters. But what you're doing right now is simply setting up for eternity. He's going, I'm giving you a chance to be set up. He goes, store up treasure in heaven. He's saying that what you do right now affects eternity. That what your choices today determine like, it, it's, I don't know, a lot of times we think of heaven like a communist country. And I, and I say that because we think everybody who goes to heaven has everything the same. The goal is just make it to heaven. And we think, I said a prayer, I'm making it to heaven, I'm good. But there's all this language that says, store up treasure in heaven. He says that there's going to be rewards in heaven. He talks about crowns we're going to get. He talks about these different spots where our deeds are going to be be tested and that we're going to have rewards. And he says that, that you make your choices for those. Paul constantly, he's like, I live. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, um, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He talks about his light and momentary affliction. Okay, his light and momentary afflictions, like, hey, you just got beat with rods thrown in jail. They tried to stone you to death. You got shipwrecked and put in jail for years. It's light and momentary. Because he wasn't looking here. He was looking here. And when he looked here, all of a sudden, it changed the way that he lived here. And then he tells us, 
to do the same. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And he goes, you're going to live for this. And when you do, it will change you. It will change how you live. It will give you perseverance. It will give you the ability to die to yourself and to sacrifice, to help, to show God's love to other people, to say, yes, God, no matter what, the, what, the, no matter what God says, the answer is yes before he even says it because you say, I know what I'm living for. See, when you know where you're going, it gives you the ability to say no. See, the Bible says that where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Um, okay, so years ago, I don't know how many years ago, a lot of them, my parents were going to go, and they said they were going to take us all out to eat. And they were going to take us out, and it was going to be a really special occasion, and they were going to take us to Charlie's Crab on a Sunday after church. If you've never been there, you probably saved money, but it's really good. It is really, really good. I mean, they have like tables upon tables of food. And like, you, this isn't just like a normal buffet. I mean, it just goes and it goes all the way around. And there's a whole table full of desserts. And over here, there's a table where they've got an omelet bar and they've got um, like prime rib or there's different really fine meats that they're cutting there. And it's amazing. I have this weakness for free food um, that, that has been with me for a very, very long time. Um, and I remember when they, they asked us, hey, hey, they told us, hey, we're going to take you out to eat at, um, and we're, and we're going to go to Charlie's Crab. I was so excited, but I was in the 180 that Sunday and I was teaching and they had leftover pretzels. Um, and they're like these big old stuffed pretzels and they're, they're pretty good. And they had some left and they're like, hey, we're gonna throw them out. Would you like some leftover pretzels? And normally I'm like, free food? Yes, I would like leftover free something that I didn't have to pay for. Hmm, yeah, one of them has pizza sauce in it. That's awesome. But you're like, no, 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 I don't. I'm going to Charlie's Crab. Why would I put that in my stomach when I can put the stuff that they have on the buffet in my stomach? There's a lot that can fit in here, but there is limited space. And I need to make the most of it. And this buffet is on dad's budget right now. And so I am going to make the most of it because I could not get myself there. And like, like I am going to make the most. And so what I saw gave me the strength to say no today and to change how I lived because I had a goal. Now, that one was very simple. It was simply to enjoy the food that dad was going to pay for it. Thank you, dad. And so, um, but he goes, in life, when we know where we're going, now we know how to say no. We can say, you know what? You know what? That's great. But that doesn't honor God. You know what? This relationship is fun. You know, this is exciting. This shouldn't happen. I want to honor God. You know what? This may be entertaining, but that's not God honoring. And I want to honor God with my life. Because today isn't about today. Today is my chance to set up for eternity. And if I'm going to give an account of this day to God, what do I want to tell God I did? What do I want God to tell me that I did? And you're like, you know what? I want him to tell me that I love somebody well. You know what? Maybe your spouse can be challenging. And you get to stand in front of God and go, you know what? I fought for my rights. Or you can say, I love them like you love the church. And I laid my life down for them. 
You can say, you know what? I honored my husband even when it was difficult because you told me to. And by honoring him, I was honoring you. You can sit here and say, you know what? Sure, my kids know how to push my buttons, but I'm going to set an example to them of what it looks like to be a godly man. I'm going to walk with character and integrity. I'm going to put God first. I'm going to make sure that he's in my day because nothing's going to push him out because my eyes are set on him. And if they're set on him, then that changes how I live today. And we can, we can be changed. We can be transformed because we know where we're going. See, God doesn't want to be an item on your to-do list. He doesn't even want to be the first item on your to-do list. He wants to be the paper that it's all written on. He wants all of it. And he wants everything you do to be run through the filter of the fact that you're going to give an account to him. You go, all right, what am I doing? I'm living for eternity. And he said that he wants to bless you. He says that he wants good things for you. Doesn't mean that you have to have this wretched, horrible life where you gave up everything and never do anything. Part of what you're called to do is show the world his love and his light. They should look at you and go, I want what you have. There's something about you. But, but you look and you go, are you living in a way that they're going to say there's something about you? Jesus tells another story. He tells a story. He tells a parable and says, this is what's coming. I guess it wasn't even a parable. He says that one day that, the, that he'll come back and he'll separate people, the sheep from the goats. And that he's going to look at them and he's going to look at some of these and he's going to go, Hey, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they're going to look at him and go, God. He's going to say, come and enter my rest. They're going to go, God, when did we see you? When were you naked? You're God. When, when were you homeless? When were you broken and hurting. When did we comfort you? And he's going to look at you and go, what you did to the least of these, you did to me. And they're going to be like, wow. There's a group he's going to look at and say, I was hungry. I was sad. I was cold. I was naked. I was in prison. And you left me. And they're going to go, when did we do that? He's going to say, what you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And then he, they're off for punishment. And I pondered this and I said, you know, he told us this for a reason. The reason is because this was supposed to affect today. It's like my teacher. I had, a, I had a professor in college who was awesome. Somewhat hard and frustrating, but awesome. He was one of the toughest professors, but his, he would often age you before an exam. And he would say something like this. <clears throat> I had uh, major prophets with him, and he'd say like, you know, the exam's coming up. You probably want to know what years they prophesied. You probably want to know who was king when the, you're when they prophesied, and you're like, you probably want to know, and he starts listing, and if he says you probably want to know, that's a vague way of saying, this is going to be on the exam, look it up, buddy, and so you're like scribbling everything down, and you're going, all right, I now know what I need to study for, because this is going to be on the test. Jesus just said, hey guys, the future is coming, you're going to enter eternity, 
This is what it's going to look like. There's going to be a test. This is what's on the test. You probably want to be able to say, I clothed you. I fed you. I loved you. I comforted you. I visited you. I gave. I supported you. I was there for you. Not, I was busy. I was too busy on vacation. I didn't. And he lays it out and goes, it's coming. Are you ready? Are you living for eternity? Or are you living for today? What day are you living for? Today or the day that you stand in front of God? Let us live ready. Let us live to hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let us love like he loves. Let us give like he gave. Let us live like we want to see him tomorrow. If today is the build phase and we're setting up eternity. And as we, as we talk about going, if we're going to live for that day, what does that mean for you? And some of you guys go, it means I get to look forward to soon hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. And others go, I have time so that I can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And some say, you know what? If I was to look and say that this is set up for eternity, now is my chance to recognize that I'm not ready for eternity. I don't know God. It's God that loves me. I've been living for this moment. My eyes have been here. And I may been making great choices as far as this moment is concerned, but not as far as eternity is concerned. And today you say, I want to place my trust in him. I want to spend my eternity with him. And I want to live for him. I want to receive his forgiveness and I want to be right with him. I want to give you an opportunity to make that choice today. As all of us should be challenged to live for eternity. But if you're not ready for eternity, today you should leave ready. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? <clears throat> if that's you today, you say, today I am not ready for eternity. Today, Jesus, <clears throat> I, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to live for him. I want to know that I'm right with God and I'm away to heaven. When I say three, I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. So that's me. I want to make Jesus my Lord. Awesome. I see your hand. And 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 I see your hand. Who else is? That's me. Another one over here. Awesome. That is the most important choice that you ever make. And Jesus said that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to call on his name. We're going to declare him to be our Lord. And he promised that when we do, we place him on that throne in our life he would come in and that he would wash us clean that we would be right with him that we'd start this relationship and this wonderful journey with him so whether you raised your hand or you've already done that then go ahead and join us as we declare him to be our Lord say God thank you for loving me and for not giving up on me I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done I believe that you died and rose again I choose to follow you. I make you my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Awesome. Give them a really big hand. As we get ready to dismiss, the giving boxes are in the back. We're going to have a prayer team up here if you need prayer for anything. But go and live for eternity. You guys are dismissed.